Welcome to Harvest Mission Community Church. You are listening to one of our sermons. If you have your Bibles, first, uh, first uh, turn to First Peter, chapter one. We're going to start from verse thirteen all the way to chapter two, verse three. Uh, we're continuing in our series called "Nevertheless," as we study the book of First Peter. Um, some of you who weren't here. Uh, let me just kind of make it clear why we're doing this. Uh, a couple reasons. Number one is that we really want you to be more Bible literate. Uh, there are many of us who kind of grew up in this Christianity but not really reading the Bible or studying the Bible. Number two, some of us, our Christianity, a lot of it is based on just emotions and feelings. Now, please don't misunderstand me. I think that's a big part of it because I believe Christianity in many ways are, is experiential. We experience who God is. But if you bank it all on your emotions and feelings and events and gatherings, I'm telling you right now, your Christian life is very shallow. There will be trials and difficulties that will come your way, and you are going to get rocked. And this is the reason why we want you to be rooted in the Word of God. This is why we promote the Bible reading plan. This is the reason why there's a lot of accountability to make sure we're meditating, praying, and allowing the word to be the thing that guides us in all that we do. Another reason, I think this is very important, because this has been about a two-year process, at least for me, where the Holy Spirit spoke to me just through this one reading that I was doing, the importance of training your members, our church, to be prepared for trials and sufferings. I mean, who would have expected, with everything that's going on with the protests, who would have ever imagined a, a coronavirus. Um, I mean, in 2003, there was SARS. And so there are some people here in Hong Kong who lived it. And that's why sometimes it is a little bit more fearful as they have experienced family members or even friends or people that they know who have passed away. So when you think about it, when I was reading this, it just came to my mind. It was saying that it is often very difficult to kind of teach theology at the hospital when your member is suffering. That's the last thing they want to hear. And I agree with 100%. It's not there. It's not time to preach. It's not there to try to teach them or train them in something. And so what they were saying is that we need to train them, teach them, and prepare them before difficulty comes. So all you have to do is go to the hospital, hold their hands, and cry with them, especially when they go through difficult times in their lives. And I will say this, and I'll say it very clearly. Every single one of us in this room, you are going to go through some difficult times in your life. Some of you will go through some extreme suffering. Some of you will go through some tragedy that are unexpected. I'm praying that none of us do, but this is the reality of life. We live in this fallen world, and so there will be things that will happen to us. And if you don't believe me, all I know, all I can say to you is I don't know what world you're living in, first of all. And then just because you're a Christian does not protect you from the pain and tragedy around us. And this is the reason why, as Christ followers, we need to know what the Bible says about trials and sufferings and difficulties so that when we go through them, we will not turn to our flesh where it's easy to complain, it's easy to turn away and even doubt God. I've seen many people fall away from their faith because of difficulties that they face in their lives. But I pray that during those times is when we draw closer to Christ. I pray that those are the times when we realize how much more we need Him in our lives. And that He's our only hope. And this is the motivation, this is the reason why 
We're teaching this for the next eight some weeks that are left in this series and getting us ready for Easter as we try to reach out to many people and people who will be able to hear the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ during the Easter time. So that's the reason why we're starting this. And I pray that it will be an encouragement to you. If you remember, I, I mentioned the importance of having this Christ-centered perspective, allowing the gospel to be the foundation of everything that we do in our lives. And so I wanted to start off and just kind of help us to think about this for a moment. Please don't raise your hand because I think uh, this is more of a rhetorical question for you to think about. But I'm wondering how many of you are slowly realizing right now that your parents or the environment that you grew up in has greater influence in your life than you expected, right? Don't raise your hand, but I want you to think about that for a moment. Whether you like to admit it or not, that your family, your parents, even your siblings, maybe some events in your life, the environment that you grew up in, they have a greater influence on your life than you would have ever imagined. And in fact, I will go a step further and say, as you go through different life stages, from just being a single, uh, from a college student to a single adult, and even getting married and having children, you're going to realize that much more how much of your parents' influence has shaped who you are, and even the way now you raise your kids, for both good and bad. And when you think about that, you realize. Wow, it might be really important to figure out what is it about them? What is it about my environment that has shaped me that I respond to certain situations the way that I do? Why is it that in certain circumstances, when I have to make decisions, that I always revert to a default and realizing that, that that was shaped by my parents and the environment that I grew up in? Those of you who might not be familiar, Dr. Edward Tonic, he's a developmental psychologist who did a lot of studies on infants, and that was one of his specialties, and he performed this thing called the still face experiment. I don't know how many of you heard of it before. If you're a psych major, you have to have heard it, but it's really interesting because what they did was they brought in a person, the mother, with the child. And in a given moment, they were supposed to completely be stoic, just a still face. And to see what happens in that process was such a powerful visual reminder that even as a young child, that it shapes you. And can you imagine, that's just one moment, but we're talking about series of those throughout your whole life. And this is the reason why so many of us struggle with insecurity. We struggle with people-pleasing. We struggle with anxiety. Some of us, you could blame other things for mental illness, but I believe it's not only a physical thing or hormonal thing for many people, but it's also the way the environment has shaped us and the way we think. So I want to show you a quick video of this actual experiment that Dr. Tronix uh, did. And as you watch this, I, he's going to try to explain like the response of that little child, uh, that infant or that toddler. So uh, let's watch this together. Shall we do that? And that child is scarred for the rest of her life. <laughs> but just try to imagine this for a moment. 
This is not just one time. Some of you grew up in an environment where you screwed up or your mom or dad had a bad day and they might respond to you in a certain way. Or they expect perfection from you because A is not good enough. You got to get A+. plus. It will affect you more than you know or more than you would like to admit. This is the reason why you are who you are right now in many ways. And I'm hoping that it won't define you, but it will at least help you to understand that unless you experience the power of the gospel, you're going to respond in a way that I believe is just like the world because they have no other hope. Now, some of you experience in a different way that's a little bit more powerful because when you do something wrong or when you're in an environment, some of you have parents who are alcoholic parents or just very melancholy parents. And I'm telling you right now, that is one of the most difficult situations to be brought up in because you don't know what to do. And that's why a lot of people pleasers come out of that kind of environment. And a lot of people who struggle with trying to do things and insecurities are rooted in that kind of environment. Please, as I'm sharing this, I'm not trying to make you feel like, oh my God, my life sucks. Well, kind of, because that's part of the good news. You won't, you won't know the good news unless you realize how messed up your life is. And so when you think about this, you're going to realize that even the way some of your parents have responded to certain situations, ever since you were a little kid, you begin to internalize a lot of these things and it shaped you. And unless the gospel transforms your life, you will continue to do what you're doing. And the sad thing is this, as you get older, you get better at disguising it and covering it up with success, with money, with looks and all this stuff, just so that you can live a normal life. I'm going to share another uh, quick uh, video clip. Now, this other experiment that some of these psychologists did was to help show that when there is an environment which evokes a certain kind of emotions, especially anger, that it really paralyzes you from doing something that you might want to do. So let's watch this video together. And another child messed up for the rest of their lives. I know some of you were laughing when you were watching this, but I think for some of you, it was very painful. Because you know exactly what that feels like on both ends. Whether it's complete silence and ignored, and you're trying to do everything possible to get your parents or whoever's attention, and to the other extreme where you're constantly yelled at, and now you're frozen, cannot do anything. Next Sunday, you'll be quizzed on Psychology 101. <laughs> Why am I sharing all this as we get started? I think the sad part for many of us who call ourselves Christ followers is that we are more shaped by our experiences than what the Bible says. And this is no judgment on you in fact, that's why I said that experience is such a powerful thing for us. But unless we allow the Word of God to renew our minds and help us to grow 
in our identity in Christ, in our experience of the world around us. We're going to continue to live our lives in the same manner before we even came to Christ, came to know Christ. Here's some questions to think about. Because I think for many of us, as you have seen this, and I've counseled so many of you, or some of you, and many, many hours having these kind of conversations, is because we are more shaped by the human paradigm than you would like to believe, rather than the gospel-centered paradigm. Here's some questions to think about, and that will help you to determine, like, am I responding in a gospel-centered way, or am I responding in the ways that have been shaped by the experiences that I've gone through. First one is this. Uh, how do you respond when you mess up? I think this is one of the reasons why so many of you are constantly struggling with addiction. Because a lot of times when people are addicted to something, they've learned how to cope with things in their lives. And some of those things, it could be some of the basic, simple things of life that there's no inherent value, good or bad, but you're addicted to some of these things. And there are other things that are a little bit stronger in terms of that not good for you, but you're addicted to some of these things because of you associate it every single time when you mess up or you struggle. Let me ask you another question. What do you do when other people mess up? That's something else to think about because I'll tell you the way you respond is either a gospel-centered paradigm or a human paradigm. Here's another one. What motivates you to do things in life? Why do you do what you do? Why do you, those of you who are students, why do you get up in the morning, go to school? Why do you do that? Those of you who are working, why do you get up in the morning and go to work? If it's just purely to make money and pay the rent and then maybe have a vacation once in a while, if that's all there is to life, then you're going to have to think deeper and ask yourself, what motivates me to do the things in life? Here's another one. Are you consistent with who you are and what you do when people are around you and when you are alone? So are you consistent with who you are and what you do when you're around people and also when you're just by yourself? No matter what we go through in life, we want to make sure that the gospel is our motivation for everything that we do, particularly in our desire to live in holiness, to become more like Jesus Christ. And that's why sometimes I think, I'm, and I wonder to myself, is it possible that some of us are going through difficulties and struggles and trials so that God can purify our hearts? God can purify our motives so that the things that we do will really be driven by a heart that loves God and loves people. So let me give us the one thing for us to consider as we look in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 and on. It's, it's simply this. The gospel must fuel our motivation to live our lives in holy devotion. So the gospel must fuel our motivation to live our lives in holy devotion. There are two things I'm going to highlight for us in this passage. The first point is this, that the gospel helps us to live righteously. The gospel helps us to live righteously. Too many people who call themselves Christian try to live righteously on their own strength and power, and this is the reason why the human paradigm enters into 
this gospel-centered life that God desires so much. You will notice as we go ahead and let me start reading from verse 13. Let me just read verse 13 and kind of build my argument here. It says this, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, let your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You will notice the word therefore. It connects everything that the Apostle Peter was mentioning as we studied last week, verses 1 and 12. If you remember last week, the first 12 verses covered key aspects of the gospel and how it is the foundation for going through the trials and sufferings in your life. If you don't have a gospel paradigm, you cannot go through the trials and sufferings in a way that will bring honor and glory to God. It's that simple. And this is one of the most important reasons why in order to do every, uh, anything or go through anything in life, especially the difficulties, you have to have a good grasp of the gospel. It cannot be something that is just intellectual, something that you've learned ever since you were a little kid. It has to be something that deeply affects us in our hearts and in our minds. So here's Apostle Peter who gives three clear exhortations in verse 13 so that we may be able to live righteous lives and in holiness. He says that we got to be prepared in our minds for action, be sober-minded, and set our hope on Christ's return. Those are the three exhortations he says that if you want to live in holiness, if you want to live righteously, then you have to prepare your mind for action, you have to be sober-minded, and set your hope on Christ's return. Those are the three exhortations that he starts off with. Now, Peter is emphasizing the importance of what? Our thought life, the things that you think about. If you are not disciplined in your thoughts, so for instance, some of us, we are just very negative in our thinking. That is your propensity of life. You, this is what you constantly do. Don't raise your hand. How many of you know of at least one negative person in your life? You know what I'm talking about. They're constantly negative. Oh my God, we're gonna, we're gonna get the virus. Oh my God, I'm gonna get the virus. And oh my God, someone, the car is gonna run us over. Oh my, and you're just like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know those people. They might be close to you. Hopefully they're not near you or next to you, but you know what I'm talking about. They're constantly negative. We can never do that. I don't think we could, I don't think we could do that. And it's amazing because of our thought process, because it's so negative, because it's so judgmental, because they could always find something that's paranoia or driven by paranoia. Guess what happens? A lot of times their actions follow. That's why they won't take any risk. That's why they do everything possible to control their lives. And this is one of the reasons why I believe that it hinders so many people from living out their calling and God's purposes for them. And what normally happens from that moment on is we always operate on default, which is simply what? We choose to live an easy, comfortable, and a self-centered life. This is where the gospel has to come in. Titus chapter 2, verse 11 through 13. I'm going to read it from the NIV. Listen to what it says. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, men and women, 
It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. You can't say no to ungodliness if you don't have this blessed hope and believing that Jesus Christ will come back. So once again, Peter says, be prepared in your minds for action. Be sober in your mind, and then you have this hope of Jesus Christ's return. So the question is, how can we live righteously? Well, I think the danger of trying to live righteously without the gospel is that you try to do it on your own strength. So you know what happens when you do that? Every single time you try to be holy, try to live a godly life, you know what happens? You will go to the two extremes. One some of you will get very proud because some of you are very motivated because of what other people will think of you, whatever the reason. So you get very proud. That's why you always see in churches these spiritual Pharisees, these Pharisees who think they're better than everyone else. Now, once again, don't raise your hand. How many of you know at least one of them in your life? You know what I'm talking about. There's always that one person that you just want to put another hole in their face somewhere, right? They, they're always better than everyone else or they think they are. Or... Some of us, we go to the other side where we came to the realization, we can't do this and my life sucks and I'm pretty bad. I'm a bad person. And then it leads us to a lot of discouragement. This is what happens when you try to live a righteous and godly life on your own strength. You go to one of these two extremes. And I think for some of us in this room, we have a complete misunderstanding of what it means to be holy. It's clearly not about the do's and don'ts. Can I get a good amen to that? Right? Some of you are still like, oh, it's about doing this or not doing this. Even though that might be part of it. That might be the result of it. But rather, it's when we talk about being holy, it's about being like Jesus Christ and being different from the world. Because that word holy means to be set apart. So follow with me, if you will. So this is how he starts this next section in verse 13. Tells us to be prepared in our minds for action, be sober in our minds, and to have our hope completely in Jesus Christ and in his return. And he starts off that way because what he's now going to explain is that the gospel has to be the fuel for our motivation in all that we do. So let me give you a couple things to think about here as we'll read from verse 14 and on. You will notice one of the things that he clearly mentions is the gospel inspires us to be like Christ. That he inspires us for us to be more like Jesus Christ. Let's read verse 14 through 19. This is what the word of God says. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passion of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourself with fear throughout the time of your exile. Verse 18, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways, inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. So let's just pause here for a moment. 
for us to be inspired to grow in Christ-likeness, we have to understand the gospel in a deeper way. Listen, it is not a passive thing, but it requires us to respond to God. So once again, the gospel paradigm says God is doing something or he has already done something in your life and therefore you are just responding to it. That's completely different from trying to do something so that God will respond. Are you with me? The gospel paradigm simply says God has done something or he is doing something and all I'm doing now is responding to him. This is the reason why we need a renewal in our mindset. We need to have a complete shift in the way we think of things. That's why Romans uh, chapter 12 verse 2 alpha in NIV, read it in the bold type with me, if you will. It says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That is the only way you're going to change. It's the renewing of your mind. Because your natural tendency is to live your life the way you experience your relationship with your parents, your relationship with different people. Maybe some of you had a traumatic experience as a little kid and that has now shaped you, molded you, the way you respond, the way you think, the way you look at situations. If there is someone who just reminds you of that person or you're in a situation that's very similar, some of you, it will evoke all these emotions because once again, unless your mind is renewed, and your mind is completely transformed, you are always going to respond the way you were taught or what you have experienced. As Christ followers, we're constantly fighting this battle. And sadly, once again, we see so many Christ followers losing this battle. Losing this battle to live in holiness, Losing this battle for the mind. That's why I think what Apostle Paul said to the people, to the believers in Rome is very appropriate for us today. In Romans chapter 8, verse 5 through 8 in the NIV, will you read the bold type with me? It says this, those who live according to the sinful nature, which is referring to the old self. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that Nature desires. I want you to think about that for a moment. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful man is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's laws, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. Can I just encourage you? Do you have this peace? Do you have this vibrancy of life, regardless of what virus is flying around, regardless of what your situation is? If you really believe you're going to die from this, I guarantee you, you will have no peace. You should see some of these videos online. People are like getting napkins and, you know, they're using Kentucky Fried Chicken, you know, those, uh, those gloves. Now, please, I am not saying be reckless and be foolish and just by licking the, you know, the elevator thing and like, come on. But 
But I'm telling you, if you think I'm going to die from this disease, I guarantee you, your action will follow. You're going to be paranoid. You don't want to go certain places. You think, oh my God, I'm going to get... It, it literally dictates how you live your life. You have no peace. But I do know those who consider themselves already dead, in, uh, dead to their sins, but alive in Christ. I do know that those who say, my life is not in my own hands, but it's in the hands of God. You could be the most healthiest person, eat, never touching Kentucky Fried Chicken. I don't know why I'm thinking about Kentucky Fried Chicken. But never touching Kentucky Fried Chicken, McDonald's or anything, and you could die earlier than those people who eat it every single day. That's the part I just get amazed. I go, how do you do it? Teach me your secret. You cannot control your life. It doesn't mean to be reckless and not take care of your body and do things to take precautionary measure. All those things are just part of being a responsible person. But at the end of the day, your life is in God's hands. He knows exactly when you're going to die. You don't believe it, but I do. And the more you think about a human paradigm or the things of that worry, I'm telling you, you will not have peace. Compared to other people who just, you just look at them like, why do they have so much peace? Maybe they know something that you might not know. So how is your thought process? It's interesting that in verse 16, Apostle Peter quotes this familiar passage in the Old Testament about being holy because God is holy. Uh, those of you who know is from Leviticus chapter 11, verse 45, 44 through 45, Levit Leviticus chapter 19, verse 2, and also in Leviticus chapter 20, verse 7. So this idea of being holy is that God has separated us from the world to be different. And we are called to live differently from the world and everything that we do should reflect the holiness of God. So when we say no to certain things, it's not because we're trying to make ourselves look better because we know God, we know the gospel, we've experienced that in our lives. I want you to also quickly note here that there are many gospel and salvation words or phrases in verse 17 all the way through verse 19. You'll see words like ransom, Feudal ways, blood of Christ, lamb without blemish or spot. These are all gospel salvation language. That Jesus Christ was the perfect lamb of God, the sacrifice, who shed his blood for us so that our sins can be taken away. That we were captured because of sin. But Jesus Christ ransomed us and saved us. This is powerful. Here's Peter. As he's talking about trials and suffering, he almost like pivots. And he says, think about what you're thinking about. And he says, it, got, it has to be rooted in the gospel. And you're going to understand why, as you read the letter further, why that is so important. Why we need to establish this in order for us to understand the rest of this book. All these words should inspire us to live righteously and it should fuel our motivation for growing in Christ-likeness. I want you to just pause here for a moment to ponder, to soak in Christ's sacrifice for us. 
That, that is the only way I believe that can motivate anyone to say no to sin and yes to Jesus. I can't think of anything else. Because everything else will be all about you. This is the reason why we have to be more enamored and more just fascinated and just in wonder in the sense of mystery at who this Jesus is and what he has done for us. You know, I've been having some conversation with just various people and I've been thinking about this for my own life. And I'm just wondering why is it that we don't see in our generation those groups of people who are willing to lay down their whole life for the gospel. I don't know, we were just singing that song during offering. You know when sometimes a song just hits you? You know, you're just like ready to go preach. You're like, I'm ready, man, I'm ready. And then bam, and you're like, oh, goof. Like that chorus. Here am I, take all of me. And as we were singing that chorus, it just hit me really hard. And I'm realizing that we don't have people who think that Jesus Christ is worthy enough to lay down your life, to give up your future, to give up your little petty little dreams. We're that self-centered. We love ourselves that much. This is the reason why the gospel spread all throughout history because there were people who said Jesus Christ is the greatest treasure. He's a great pearl that you find and you sell everything to obtain it. If you did your BRP this week. We don't have people like that anymore. And it's just, it's, it's disheartening. I look at my own life and then I calculate, I do the cost a little bit more than I used to when I was younger. And I said, Jesus, you're the most important thing in my life. More important than my family, more important than my parents, more important than my future. Lord, I just want you. Even if that means something happens to me. That's why some of the Greatest heroes, I believe, are just, some of them, driven by the love of Christ, are fighting on the front lines of the, of the virus. All throughout history, you see people willing to lay down their life, knowing that they're already saved, so if they die, they die. But there are hundreds and thousands, or hundreds of thousands, and millions of people who don't know Jesus Christ, and if they were to die, then they will spend the rest of eternity separated from Him in hell. We don't have people who are willing to count the cost to lay down their life for the gospel. And I'm challenging us because, as Peter said, to think, to be sober-minded, to prepare our minds for action, because Christian life is about action. Christian action. You know, it's about action. I don't know, I just thought of it right now. (laughs) But what should motivate us? It's, It's the gospel. It's about what Jesus Christ said. He ransomed us and he didn't do it. He paid the price 
And it wasn't with silver or gold. He paid it with his life, with the shed blood. And if that does not move you, I don't know what will. I really don't. If anything, that just shows you you're a good churchgoer. But you haven't experienced the power of the gospel. First John chapter three, verse two and three in the NLT, it says this, dear friends, we are already God's children, but he has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears. Read that part with me. But we do know that we will be like him for we will see him as he really is. And all who have this eager expectation will keep themselves what? Come on, pure, just as he's pure. Once again, The thing that motivates you is not so you can get something from God. You already received it. That is the gospel paradigm. Now as you wait in eager expectation of seeing Him face to face, you will keep yourselves pure. Living in holiness. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1 in the New Living Translation. Read the highlighter with me. It says this, Because we have these promises, dear friends, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that can defile our body or spirit and let us work towards complete holiness because we fear God. Fearing not like He's going to punish us, but in reverence, in worship, in knowing that He is this awesome God. That's why we will live in holiness and want to please him in all that we do. John R. Mott, he was one of the leaders of the student volunteer movement. In his book, The Evangelization of the World in This Generation, wrote this, The invasion of the church by the world is a menace to the extension of Christ's kingdom. In all ages, conformity to the world by Christians has resulted in lack of spiritual life and consequent lack of spiritual vision and enterprise. A secularized or self-centered church can never evangelize the world. When we become more like the world, the less we're going to do what God has called us to do, which is share the gospel to the ends of the earth. Same with your own life. Now, can I, I need to say this. It's not even in my notes. I'm sharing from my spirit. Listen to me carefully. I know that we want to live harmonious. Everyone say harmonious. harmonious. I I love that word. Chinese people love that word. Harmonious. Listen to me carefully. There's nothing wrong with that desire to live harmoniously. I desire that with my family, with other people. But there are times for you to love God and do the will of God, there will be no harmony. I don't know what Bible you're reading. But the Bible that I read tells me that Jesus Christ came and he's going to bring a sword. Fathers will be against sons and daughters. I mean, there is going to be division. That doesn't mean that we purposely try to create like, that's what the Bible says, you know, and try to like bring that, please. But what Jesus is saying is that if you follow me and you do the will of God, there will be people that you will not be able to be 100% harmonious with. Why? Because the values are different. If your parents, and God bless them, 
If they want you to be successful and their view of success is you make a lot of money and then you give them some, of course, and then you make a lot of money and do all these things and be famous. If their view of success is that, I'm telling you right now, the more and more you're being transformed in your mind of what it means to be successful, it is to become more like Jesus, to live for Him and obediently with Him, then there's going to be a clash. Why don't you know this? There will be opposition that will come. And so what happens is because we are so driven to be harmonious, oftentimes when we know what God wants us to do, we will not because we desire this more. Think about your future. Some of the decisions that some of you have to make. And I know I counsel some of you through this. So I'm not picking on you, but I'm just trying to give you some real life situations that some of you will face. Should I do an internship or should I go on missions? Now that's a decision you have to make. I'm not saying one is better than the other. Ultimately, it really comes to believing that God is leading you somewhere. And I've always encouraged college students, you will never be able to get three weeks off and go on missions. Unless you're like a CEO and you control your own schedule and you're the company boss, you can do whatever you want. I'm going to be gone for a month. See you. Or I can take a sabbatical for two months. I didn't fully make that decision on my own, but. That's why I say they will, they will, it's going to be very difficult to ever have an opportunity like this. Before you graduate, to go on a missions project, experience God, to understand his heart for the world and what he's doing. I'm just giving you one example. There, there's, there's plenty. Oh, since the classes are now canceled, the classes are pushed back, I'm not going to come back. <laughs> I mean, what parent would be like, no, go back. We enjoyed it when you weren't here. Like me and your mom, we loved it so much when you were. Go back. Risk your life with this coronavirus. No parent will say that. Because they're scared for you. Well, once again, it depends on how they view things. So I've been challenging some students. Why would you come back to Hong Kong? If in your mind, the only reason that you are in Hong Kong is just for studies and that's it, then yeah, when school cancels, there is no other reason to be in Hong Kong. Why would you if that is the only reason you're here? But if you believe that that's part of the reason, school, but that's another reason. It's because of a community, life group. You want to invest. But pastor, can't we do it through video? Then I could do it in my pajamas. And then I could be like, hey, guys. Yeah, I guess so. Because you love the church. You love the people. This is our, your mission field. That might be a, another reason why, if there's a possibility, that you'll do everything to come back. I know this is not very popular, 
man, I'm going to get phone calls and many different messages. I'm already getting some from different parents. God bless you if you're watching this. You know, thank you. We love you. Don't worry, I'll take the hits for some of you. God has toughened my heart over the years. Some of you are like, I wish I had that choice. I'm not local Hong Kong, so I can't go anywhere. So you're not more spiritual, you're just scared too, and you can't go anywhere. <laughs> oh, Jesus, where am I? John Mott, did I share about John Mott? Yeah, okay, sorry. That, that's a little bit of prophetic preaching, I guess, just kind of sharing what I feel like the Holy Spirit wants us to let us know about. Listen, don't, don't take this to the alley. You know what's in the alleys, right? Cats, right? Mouth. You know, don't. Ding, 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 ding. Okay, don't call the cats. Don't call the cats. <laughs> I don't even explain the story. Talk to uh, Joshua and Vivian. They'll tell you the story. Or talk to Leon. Leon, he'll tell you what what happened. Because in America, when you clank your glass, it means to do something. But obviously, in Hong Kong, when you clank the the glass, you're calling cats to come. So you don't want to do that. But anyway, let me focus. I'm, I'm losing my train of thought. The gospel should inspire us in our Christ-likeness. Let me just finish off the first point with the gospel not only inspires, but it should ignite our confidence in how we live, especially when we go through trials. Twenty, Verse 20 and 21, it says this. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. I want you to notice the word foreknown, which is a reference to God choosing us before the foundation of the world, and He's now made it known to us through salvation. It is a reminder of God's love and His purpose for you. This should ignite our confidence. Instead of cowering away when we go through difficult times or when we face uncertainty, it should rather give us confidence. If God already foreknew that you will be predestined and you have been chosen and you have been saved, not maybe your friend or someone else, but he saved you. If you understand this gospel, then you should be confident in how you live. That's why I've said it many times before, I really believe those people who understand the gospel deeply, it is difficult to be a very insecure person. Now, that doesn't mean we don't struggle with insecurity. We all do. I do. We, we struggle with it. But the more you saturate your minds in the gospel, that's when you build confidence. Jesus paid the price for us. He sacrificed his life for us. How much more we could put our faith and trust in him. That's where we get our security, our confidence. How about us this morning? What is your motivation for growing and wanting to be more like Christ? If it's not because of the gospel, what Jesus Christ did, and you're forever grateful, and you're saying, God, I want to live my life to become more like Jesus Christ. I don't know what other motivation. 
Either you're going to be proud and act like a Pharisee, or you're going to get so discouraged and just kind of decide not to really live this Christian life. It's the gospel igniting a greater confidence and inspiring you to live daily in holiness. The gospel helps us to live righteously. Let me close with the second point, that the gospel helps us not to only live righteously, but the gospel helps us to love radically. Look at verse 22 through 25. This is what it says as we close out in this next section. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the former or, or the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower fails, but flower falls but the word of the Lord remains forever. And it says here, and this word is the good news that was preached to you. Now, you have to kind of think, okay, he talked about trials early. Now he said, prepare your mind because how you think is going to be how you act and it's got to be gospel-centered. And then all of a sudden, he pulls out this brotherly love. Follow the flow of Peter's thought. Because a lot of times when you go through difficult times, we have a lot of what? Conflicts with others. Are you with me? Whether it's with your parents, whether it's with your loved ones, whether it's with your friends, whether it's with other people. A lot of times when you struggle and go through a lot of trials and sufferings and difficulties or uh, adversities, a lot of times it starts spewing into our relational component. And that's why he now shifts gears. And as he's talking about trials, going through it, and then he talks about thinking straight, thinking the gospel message. Now he talks about love and how we are to call, called to be, how we are now called to love radically. He encourages one of the believers with this brotherly love, which should be earnest and come from a pure heart. Now the word sincere can be translated as without hypocrisy. I've shared this many times before, that the word sincere means without hypocrisy. Now, I think all of us can agree that we know of, we just don't like fake people. Are you with me? All right? Oh, hi! But deep inside, they're like, I'm going to kill you. I, I don't, you, just, you know. Like You're like, eh. I, and some people, when they first walk into our church, are like, oh my God, this church is kind of overwhelming because all these greeters, all these, hi, how are you? Like, huh? You know, the other churches, that will be, just go sit down anywhere you want, any, anywhere. But for us, it's like, this row, right over there, third seat right there. Can you just sit down right there, right? So everyone's like freaking out. But we all know that we don't like insincere people or things that are hypocritical, things that are not true, things that are not real. In verse 23, as I've just read, we see that we're able to love others. Not because, listen, not because we're loving people. Some of you are like, no, pastor, I really am. Just wait until I introduce you to some very unlovable people. Let's really test it out. Now, you're not loving just because you're around lo lovable people. Then we're all loving. I'm the most loving of all. I mean, if there are people that are so lovable, you just want to hug them, then you could be the most lovable person in the whole world. Like, you are such a man of love. But the true test of love is what? When there are unlovable people in your life. So don't pray that prayer. Lord, give me more love. You're asking for trouble. 
When you say, Lord, teach me to love, you're asking God to bring unlovable people your way. Anyway, just a little extra bonus on the sermon, okay? Don't pray for love, okay? Some people are like, okay, pastor said never pray for love, okay? There are times when I'm like sarcastic or joking, and other times I'm serious. I should have a little sign that every time I'm saying, bing, and they're like, oh, oh, okay, I get it, I get it, you know? So, now listen. The only way you can love radically and just love people in general, because we're not loving by nature, is that when we have this new life in Christ and God changes our hearts. Can I get a good amen to that? Think about it. Because we are not loving in and of ourselves. We don't have any good in us. We cannot love. I mean, we might be very like nice, and, but to radically love. The only way we could do that is we, if we have a new life in Christ and our hearts are changed. This is why the concept of being born again, which was mentioned in verse 3, if you quickly look up in your Bible, is now mentioned again in verse 23. This idea of being born again. Because this love that is to be expressed, it should be earnest or earnestly loved. It means deeply. Everyone say deeply. deeply. Now think about this. That word love deeply or love earnestly, if you study this, it's translated as a full stretch or an all-out manner with an intensity where every muscle is being strained or striving with all of one's energy. That's what the word earnestly means. To earnestly love somebody, you have to be all in. To really love somebody, it is going to stretch you to the max. Use up all of your energy. That is the kind of love, the radical love that Peter now says. If you have experienced the gospel, you will be able to love people in this way. There is no other way. No other way. Because if you think about the world, a lot of times they are loving to you or nice to you because what? They could get something from you. Are you with me? That's why it's insincere sometimes. You're questioning. Do you really care? Do you really love me? I'm not saying that that doesn't happen in the church. I mean, it could happen. You know, you're, when your leader's like, where are you? Aren't you coming to life group? You're like, do they really say this because they care? Or they want a lot of people in their life group so they can picture, take a picture and say, look at our life group. But think about this. This is such a powerful word. If you only, like, earnest or earnestly Deeply. In fact, maybe this will give you some insight. I was doing some cross-referencing on this word. And that word also shows up a couple other places. And one place that jumped out at me was Luke chapter 22, verse 44. Listen to what it says. And this is Jesus. Description of what Jesus went through. And being in agony, he prayed more. Everyone say it. Earnestly. And his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. 
some commentators say that it's it the sweat was so it looked like these drops of blood coming out. Some people said that it's a physiological when you're under so much stress and turmoil that blood starts coming out from your pores. However you want to interpret it, all I know is this. He was in the moment of being crucified the night before and he was praying in Gethsemane. And as he was praying, we see here that word that he was in agony and he prayed more earnestly. That it was a stretch. It was an all-out manner. It was intensity where every single muscle was strained and striving with all of his energy, praying that God will give him the grace to go to the cross and die on that cross. How do you love people in this manner? Especially when you go through trials, because when you go through difficult things, who do you think about the most? Come on. Yourself. When there's a virus, who do you think about? Not those people who are struggling. Or maybe even the mainlanders who came. Now, I know I'm going to get myself in trouble, but that's been my testimony my whole life. Always in trouble. Listen. I have a pro, I understand, don't, listen. I understand the motive and the reason. I'm not stupid in that. I know why, but I'm trying to challenge you. Is it biblical? Is this what Christ would do? This is what I'm asking. When I read up and see these news on, and there's signs that says, no man, no mainlanders allowed. But if you're from Taiwan, because you speak Chinese, right? Putuhan, we can't tell the difference, but I think you can because with Taiwanese people, like, yeah, yeah. and then, you know, so you can tell the Taiwanese Putuhan between the mainland. Anyway, you know what I'm talking about. They say, if you are from Taiwan, then please show your national ID card. So please forgive us for the extra trouble, but no mainlanders allowed. What if that mainlander had nothing to eat and they're starving? I'm not trying to get political here. I'm I'm challenging your hearts. And I'm challenging my own heart. And I'm thinking Christ will go to the leper. Well, he's Jesus, so he won't catch it. He could just go, shabam, and then he's healed. (laughs) What would Christ do? And the sad part is these are Christians or so-called Christians. And we're so driven by fear. We're so driven by circumstances that we don't even think straight. Wake up. That's why we need Christians who call themselves Christ followers, who have been enamored by the gospel message that it moves their hearts because they deserve death. Spiritual, physical, emotional death because they have been separated from God because of their sins. And they know that so deeply in their hearts that Jesus Christ came for a person like me. And it moves them and it stirs them that they're saying, my life is not worth anything unless I could do the will of God and live for Him. And to be able to love in such a radical way. This is what changes the world. I hope you understand that. 
It's not worshiping and being in these holy huddles, but it's learning how to do sometimes the most difficult things to be courageous. And I've been telling people, courage is not the absence of fear. When you talk to any courageous person, they will tell you they're scared too. But courage is even though you are scared, you do the right thing. That's courage. Sticking up to that bully, I mean, he could kick your, uh. But you stand up because it's the right thing to do. That's why Peter talks about this radical love. Deeply love one another deeply where you're straining. It's to the point of Jesus when he was in Gethsemane praying more earnestly. This is why Christian love is not only about feelings. It's the volition of the will. You might not feel like it, but you do it because you've experienced the gospel. It's obedience to his word. And the only way we're going to be able to love brother, or others as brothers and sisters in this kind of brotherly and sisterly way is when you understand and internalize God's love for you. Can you just pause here? Just let's take a breather for a moment. Just, just listen as I'm, I'm, I'm looking at my notes. And I realize this is so important. And I don't want it to be lost because of my excitement or just, I'm going to try to share this with you clearly. Listen. We are able to show love to others when we treat the others the same way Christ has treated us. Just think about this for a moment. We are able to love others when we treat others the same way God treated us. So let me give you some examples. This is why when we understand God's acceptance of us, we can accept others. Can I get a good amen to that? See, when you don't accept others, that shows you that you don't fully understand what Christ had to go through to accept you. You were filthy. We were all filthy with sin. We're diseased. It might be a virus I thought out there, but it was sin in our hearts. When we receive God's forgiveness, that's when we're able to forgive others. See, this is where I think some of us, we think we deserve forgiveness. But they don't deserve forgiveness because they hurt us deeply. Can you imagine how deeply we have hurt Jesus and he still loves us? So when your mind is saturated in the gospel, you realize even though I am so hurt because Jesus Christ, he has forgiven me, you're able to now treat others in this radical love. When we experience God's patience and compassion, that's when we can be patient and compassionate to others. God's word is what can change a person's heart because it is imperishable, it is living, and is enduring. That's why in verse 24, Peter quotes Isaiah chapter 40, verse 6 through 8. He reminds us that the word of God will remain forever. And even Jesus mentions that in Matthew chapter 24, verse 35. He says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. It is eternal. This is the reason why obeying God's word will refine your character. 
Will you just close out with me in chapter 2, verse 1 and 3? It says this, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Part of having our character refined is when we put away or get rid of things that are associated with our old nature, which is before the rebirth, being before born again. It doesn't mean that you're going to live a perfect life. It doesn't mean you will never struggle with the things that you used to struggle with before you became a Christian. But here Peter lists five sins which deal with attitude and speech that can build up walls between believers and cause us not to have this radical love. He says malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. These five things affect your attitude and affect your speech towards others. This is why I believe there needs to be repentance. We have to remember that it is not going, it's not just about getting rid of things in our lives, but it's also about proactively responding to God to do something. That's why you will notice in verse 2 of chapter 2, we see the, the need for spiritual milk which is God's word, so that we can grow. Let me just give you the verse, and I'm going to just highlight just a couple things here. I don't have time to read the whole thing. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1 through 4, just to highlight a part, it says this, For if not solid food, because you weren't ready for anything stronger, he's talking about the importance of not just drinking spiritual milk, but you got to start eating spiritual meat. That's why in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12 through 14, it talks about that. I'm just going to read the highlighted portions here. It says that you need milk and cannot eat solid food because you're like spiritual babes in Christ. He then says in verse 14, solid food is good for those who are what? Mature. So think about this. Listen to me carefully. Some of you have been drinking spiritual milk for so many years of your life, which is in relation to the Word of God, which is good. But what he's saying is this. Those of you who are growing in your relationship with Christ, you got to start eating spiritual meat. Stop just reading the Bible, but read it and then obey. Do what is right. This is how you're going to be able to love people radically. What God wants more than anything is for us to become like Him, like, like in Him in His holiness, to become more like Jesus Christ. That's why He wants us to mature in our faith. So can you just pause here for a second? Think about what Peter has been talking about and what he's written so far. This whole thing in the first 12 verses was what? About this idea of the testing, about the faith. It's about the gospel. You've got to be rooted in the gospel. Then he goes on and he begins to talk about what? Just to be holy, to become more like him. And he then he almost shifts gears. But now you look back and like, no, it's connected. Because he says, learn to love radically. Not only living righteously, but love radically. Because oftentimes during trials, you want to just love yourself and not those people around you. And what he's saying is the only way you're going to be able to not only go through trials, and not only to be able to love radically and live righteously, you have to, the only way you can do that is by maturing, growing up. Stop being like that little kindergarten kid. Grow up. You've been doing this for 20 years, 15 years, 10 years. Some of you are getting older and older. It says grow up, mature in Him. And I'm wondering if some of the struggles and difficulties that you're going through right now 
That is exactly what Jesus Christ is trying to do. I think for some of us, we're just so consume and feeding ourselves with entertainment and the things of this world that we don't have time. And maybe this is just my confession. You guys all know the, uh, the social app, TikTok? I got it. I got, I got a TikTok. Um, I'm following a handful of people. Um, more, uh, more of those people that a lot of people follow, millions of people. But there's this one guy I really like because he's a Korean doctor. And in 15-second videos, he's sharing, like, if, do you have a pain right here? Then he gives you all the, like, this, you know, things that you can do. Is your back hurting? And he, so I'm like, I'm looking at that. I'm like, wow, this is really good. Now, those of you who have ever been on TikTok, now, some of you are like, tick, tick what? <gasps> Don't get into it, okay? Um, this is just my own confessions. Uh, some of you now probably like, we'll never come back to this church again. <laughs> This is like Gen Z. My motive was to understand the next generation, but that next generation sucked me in, you know? I'm looking through this, and all of a sudden, as I'm looking at some of the different, like, I have sports, all the stuff, and they show different highlights. I'm looking through this, and all of a sudden, next thing you know, it's one hour. Like 45 minutes or an hour. I'm like, holy cow. Because they're only like 10, 15 seconds, you know? You know? You know, you know what I'm talking about. It's just like 10 seconds, 15 seconds of just like stuff. And you're just kind of like, and I realize it is so easy just to kind of like to get sucked in. And then I was thinking, man, like how many of us on a given day whether it's Instagram, whether it's YouTube, it might be whatever. I'm not saying any of those things are wrong. But sometimes we saturate so much of our mind, and that's why we're stunting our growth. Peter is drawing the comparison that growing and knowing more of Christ and the gospel is similar to tasting and seeing. That's why he uses Psalm 34, verse 8. Where it says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. That the more you ponder upon who he is and the goodness of God, that's when you're going to be able to go through trials in your life, to love radically, to live righteously. Something that I've been teaching some of you, and some of you probably heard this before, but whenever you're trying to make decisions, whenever you're going through trials, whenever you're trying to figure out, God, what is it you're trying to do? I always tell people, Follow the GPS. If you don't know what GPS is, it's simply this. It's what you believe about God that will direct you and guide you. So I always tell people, GPS is God is good, God is purposeful, and that God is sovereign. That He's in control. If you believe He's good, and you believe that everything that He does, there's a purpose behind it. Even though it's hard, Maybe he's trying to make you more like Christ. Maybe you've been drinking too much milk and he wants you to start eating meat. He's purposeful in everything that you're doing, everything that you're going through. And then you trust that he is sovereign, that he's completely in control. He hasn't forgotten about you. He knows exactly what's happening because he's purposeful, but he's in control. 
He's leading you, guiding you. And even if something were to come against you, he will do everything possible to protect you. If you understand the GPS, that he's good, he's purposeful, and that he's sovereign, there is nothing that you will go through in life that you will not be able to trust in him for. Do you believe he's good? Do you believe he's purposeful? And do you believe that he's sovereign? That's why the gospel must fuel our motivation to live our lives in holy devotion. I'm going to challenge us just to think about a couple things here as we close. First is, whenever you go through some of these things this week, will you just pause and to ask yourself, why am I doing this? Because we're talking about motivation. And if it's not because Jesus Christ, I'm telling you right now, repent and say, God, it's because of you. Don't go to that life group meeting because your leader is telling you to go. That's the worst motivation. But if you say, Jesus Christ loved me, and I have no fear, and I'm going to go because I want to bless people. Stop thinking about you. I want to bless others. It's not about me. That, that might be a good motivation. Secondly, pray for people so you can learn to love them. I'm telling you right now, there is no one that you cannot love if you pray for them. Sometimes you look at them, you want to punch a nose, pull in their face and just like avoid them, but then you start praying for them. The next time you just be like smiling, next time you might wave your hand, next time it might be a coronavirus hug, you know, like this, and then next thing you know, bring it in, bro. Pastor, I, I can't love this person. That's pretty much what you're confessing to me is I haven't been praying for them. You pray for anybody, you can love anybody. That's why when you start praying for God's mission, you will love His mission. That's why when you pray for that girl, you love that girl. You chase her down. You know what I'm talking about? Whatever you pray for, God will give you. Not give you, but He will give you the burden. Careful now. Careful. Some of you are like, he said if I just pray for her, I could get her. No. He will give you the burden. And that burden, let me clarify even further, that burden might be no. Okay, so <laughs> prayer is powerful. And lastly, practice the spiritual discipline so that you can grow. Let's commit to growth. I don't know what you're going to go through. I don't know what we're going to go through as a church. But all I can say is this. We're going to keep on going through things. We will. But the quicker you accept that, the better it is. We're going to go through things. As soon as, you, you remember when the protest was done, we're like, Whew. the corona, coronavirus, you know, and you're like, oh my God. And after the virus, what's going to happen? I like your hat. It matches. I like when people match. What happens after the coronavirus? You don't know. I don't know either. But you know something's going to come up again. Perhaps. Well, I went 33 minutes over. Praise the Lord. <laughs> <laughs> I always tell people there are times when you prepare the message this is going to be 45 minutes 
And then you go off on all these tangents, share about TikTok. That's what happens, you know? <laughs> Come on, let's stand together as we close here. Can we just take a, a brief moment and let's think about the cross. Think about the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for us. Let's meditate on that. Let's ponder on that. Let's consider that. Because that really is the foundation in all that we do. And I'm praying, Lord, may in our church, may the gospel be such a powerful motivation that we will just live our lives in complete and holy devotion to you and you alone. And that translates into the gospel helping us to live righteously and helping us to love radically. We can't do this apart from Christ. And the beautiful thing about all this that I shared this morning is that there's only one person who could ever do it perfectly like that, and that's Jesus Christ, who lived a righteous life perfectly without any sin and who loved radically even to some of the most unlovable people in this world may we look to him who is the author and the perfecter of our faith especially when we struggle with living in holiness when we struggle with loving people when we struggle with trying to go through the trials in our lives may we look to him who set before us this race he endured the cross he took the scorn he took the shame put it upon himself what should have been ours he took it upon himself and make may that make us forever grateful that now everything that we do and how we live our lives will just magnify the greatness of who God is through His Son, Jesus Christ. So Father, I just pray that as we take this moment, this quiet moment to reflect, to think about the cross and all that You've done, fill our hearts because we want to be holy because You're holy. We want to live righteously because You've called us to become more like Your Son, Jesus Christ. So mature us so thank you for the trials thank you for the hardships thank you for the different struggles because that's what you're doing right now you're you're refining us like silver and gold purify us from deep within so we could be like you and Lord by your grace in this world where it's hard to believe that people love earnestly sincerely without wanting anything in return I pray that we as Christ followers we may love earnestly in such a way that the world will know something is different teach us to love radically this coming week those who are hurting those who are afraid those who are struggling help us help us by your grace Thank you for listening to the Harvest Mission Community Church Podcast. 
For more information, visit our website at hongkong.hmcc.net.